You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and startup clubs house in clubhouse it's free it always will be free there are no strings attached there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on monday we manifest on tuesday we talk thought leadership on wellness wednesday we discuss mental health wellness and life skills on thursday we do live book reads and discussions with the author and then on friday it's no agenda friday where there is no agenda start your day off on the right foot on the front foot with virtual coffee with the collective cafe where we mastermind we manifest we collaborate we help one another at the business of web3 or anything else that intersects whether it's culture collaboration creativity innovation disruption entrepreneurship or coaching so give us a subscribe bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collectives collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe well good morning good morning good morning it is thursday august 17th it is 8.02 a.m. And you are in the Collective Cafe. It is time to bring it home. It's time to bring home this amazing, amazing book that we have been reading for about two months now. About two months in the Collective Cafe. Um, this book has been game-changing. It's taught me so much. And in actual fact, I have to think about the next book. So um, I wonder... I wonder what book you'd like me to read. Um, I was thinking in part of actually going back and reading one of mine, starting to read Flip the Funnel, because it just seems to be coming up so many times in so many conversations. Just uh, just a book that really I think is, I've always described it as the best book I'll ever write, uh, maybe the best business book that I'll ever write. Um, but it really is, I think, as close to the um, what I would call the silver bullet of marketing of which there is not one which is retention is the new acquisition that you can actually build your business from the inside out um yeah it does go back to the whole concept of a thousand true fans uh, but that 
That's part of it, by the way. In fact, I'll give you like the Cliff Notes version very quickly. Part of it is this idea of a thousand true fans. But part of it is also what I would call your first customer concept. So your first 1,000 customers and your first 1,000 true fans. And then there's probably an interesting Venn diagram and an intersection between the two. But also I think there's a recognition that the people that are there first are not necessarily your true fans or the people that are going to evangelize, be ambassadors, go out and create the content, advocate on your behalf. They may be very passive, but there's something special about them. It's like you never forget the first, never forget where you've come from. That's the adage that applies to the idea of your your first customers. Never forget the first, never forget where you've come from, those humble beginnings, how hard you had to work, how much you had to fight, how much you had to battle, and, and, and what it took for them to just come to you. It might have been just dumb luck. It might have been fluke. It might have been um, just completely random or there might have just been a spark. Um, I look at that with um, with the Collective Cafe. You know, I look at Melissa who's in our Discord at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of our regulars that were here at the beginning, we used to have sometimes 14, 15 people. Um, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing. They're not here at the moment. They may come, they may not. Some of our regulars are actually in <clears throat> Clubhouse today. Uh, people move on and people uh, go through necessary endings and, and certain cycles. So I've come to learn to accept that and embrace that, <clears throat> but I've never forgotten them and I never will forget them. And, um, and you know, one of the things I did is I made them barristers. So you can still become a barrister, by the way, there's still time because at the end of the day, if we're, if we're applying the thousand true fans, the first customer approach, it might be a hundred people, but a hundred people will be able to come into the collective cafe. It is free. It always will be, at least for now, but at some point it may not be free. The reason why, why you may think of that as an inconsistency, it isn't because anyone who hears it's free, it always will be free. Uh, it always will be free for you um, if you are a regular. If you do choose, if if we build a relationship, you will invariably get that barrister role, which means you can join the collective cafe anytime you want. It it also means you can join the stage anytime you want. You don't even have to raise your hand. Hello to Praxim, one of our barristers who just arrived in Discord. So that link is above discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. If you're a human and you're listening right now, go ahead and just follow the link. It's Write it down. Do it later. Discord.gg forward slash Alpha Collective. The Discord is free and it's the home of Alpha Collective. And you can find what works for you. You might like to be in Discord and Clubhouse at the same time. You might choose to be in one and not the other. It's totally, totally okay and it's totally fine. So let's go into <clears throat> the live read and... Um, we are going to, I'm going to try and finish the book today if possible. Um, I'm also going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say discerning, um, but I want to make sure that this book um, includes as many and does not exclude any, put it that way. And so, and, and I've gone ahead and read a little bit ahead to make sure that it doesn't become, you know, something that might alienate a group. For example, 
uh, a group that's irreligious, a group that is too religious, a group that has a different religion. We definitely got hot and heavy in the religion last week, and, and it was a great learning curve and learning experience for me uh, to power through, and I'm glad I did it. Um, so there are some uh, references in this uh, chapter, but I don't think that it's, uh, it's something that's overly kind of egregious. Um, so the chapter is called, we're on page 93, and the book is pretty much done in the next 20 pages. Uh, the book is called I Dare You to Share. Many of you have read Lloyd C. Douglas's Magnificent Obsession. The plot is most unique and reveals in a most interesting way how a young man with all the graces that one could desire learned the secrets of real social growth. He was rich and lived a spoiled, useless life when an, ac- <clears throat> when an accident brought him up with a jolt. He recovered consciousness in a hospital to find he had been almost drowned. His life had been saved, however, by means of a pulmotor. What is a pulmotor? Um, by means of a pulmotor rushed over from the summer cottage of a world famous brain surgeon. The unfortunate tragedy was that the surgeon, uh, whoa, was that the surgeon was drowned while the pulmotor, which could have saved his life, was being used to save the ne'er do well. Um, so I guess it's kind of like a, I'm guessing it's like um, like scuba type of equipment. Um, the story tells how the young man, realizing he had been indirectly responsible for the loss to the world of a great man, resolved to fill this great man's place by becoming an equally capable brain surgeon. That resolution became his obsession, and eventually he accomplished his aim. But in so doing, he discovered his magnificent obsession. He found he must become more than a brain surgeon to fill the eminent man's shoes. The famous doctor had been an even greater personality in an entirely different sphere of life. Literally thousands of people had been helped in various ways by him. To some he had given money, to others his time, to others his skill, but always on one condition, that they should never during his lifetime reveal the fact of his help. His theory had been that in giving of his possessions to others, unknown to the world, he was contributing to his own personality that unheralded good deeds enlarged and enriched life. The story goes on to tell how the young man, filled with this magnificent obsession, practiced the same theory and marched on to the same reward. I would hate to think something tragic would be necessary to put a magnificent obsession into your life. The young man in the story found his urge when he discovered his aimless life had been saved at the expense of a worthy one. Then he dared to give back to the world what he had caused the world to lose. You are enjoying something today because of others' sacrifices. Doesn't that dare you to make you good? Now, I, um, I want to pause there for a second. This is very, very profound, um, this, this concept. You know... I immediately think about Forever Changed. I, ever th- I immediately think about my new book. I immediately think about this idea where I say it shouldn't have to take a global pandemic for you to see, you know, discover your purpose, your why, um, your, true, um, your true cause, your true meaning, your true mission in life uh, to become Forever Changed, dot, 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 but it helps. There's no question that during times of crisis and times of tragedy, 
we really actually have a fork in the road. It is not true that we actually that we need those pain points uh, to change or to or to take the high road. We, in fact, many people can devolve and many people can become depressed and many people can dissolve, devolve and dissolve. Um, so it isn't true that that jolt, that shock to the system, uh, is enough to help us, you know, discover that magnificent obsession. But it's interesting how so often in life we need to be pushed. We aren't capable of taking the leap, the leap of faith ourselves. I want you to think about two things today. I want you to think about, first of all, what is your magnificent obsession? Have you discovered that? You know, I I like the idea of magnificent obsession even more than your why. Your why, it sounds... I don't know. It sounds like it sounds overplayed. It sounds kitschy. Uh, maybe, maybe because it is. Maybe um, this idea of your why, my why. What is your why? Um, it sounds very uh, jargony. It sounds very consulty. Um, magnificent obsession um, is. I mean, you could probably argue that that's jargony too. But it's very hard to say my magnificent obsession was to become an accountant. It's hard. It's hard to be able to, to <clears throat> it's, it's hard to be able to be obsess, obsessive or obsessed on that. But I think it's, I think it's also um, quite hard um, to qualify it with the word magnificent. Remember that we have this, you know, we spoke yesterday about intense learning. Now we've got magnificent obsession. In a way, Part of what I want you to do, I want you to take away is I want you to always add a word of hyperbole onto everything in in life. You know, um, everything. If you can add a word of hyperbole, you know, intense, magnificent, incredible, um, unbelievable, um, you know, uh, (laughs) whatever the case may be, overwhelming. um, Obviously, don't add the word if the word doesn't mean anything, if you can't deliver but if it actually becomes a call to action for you, if it actually becomes something that now you can live up to, that you can strive towards, what a great way to live your life. Um, so, you know, what is your magnificent obsession? Have you discovered it yet? Are you on a path to discover it? And, uh, and does it always need, do you always need um, to have that, you know, that, that life change, that um, that you know, cathartic moment, that pain point in order for you to see the light, in order for you to move to the light, in order for you to change direction, in order for you to pause, uh, to take stock, to account um, for your life, for what you've done, but more importantly, what you're capable of doing. I think that's the point as well. You know, whatever you've done, you've done. Whatever you didn't do, you didn't do. You cannot change that. You cannot as much as you want to, you can post-mortem it, you can regret it, you can learn from it, which is kind of good, but then you've got to move on. Then you've got to start to f- to face forward, focus forward. There's a concept, focus forward, move forward. And, and, and you know, I've been playing around a lot with this idea of what is it to be unstuck. I've been playing a lot with this idea that you can be moving your feet can be moving, you could be treading water, you can actually be moving, but actually not going anywhere. You could be, you, you could be just, you know, walking around in a circle. That, that becomes your life. That is maybe the concept of 
Groundhog Day, as I call it, Groundhog Day in the metaverse. So if you feel um, if you feel emboldened today, tell me, share what your magnificent obsession is or or just how you're starting to think about it, if at all. All right. Um, if one is to share properly, he cannot shirk the responsibility of service. Community funds, Red Cross drives have to be done by someone. Years ago, when I was down in the Bahama Islands, I found a red bean, which the natives believe was the omen of good luck. I've carried those beans with me for many, many years, and with them, I founded what I like to call the Good Turn Bean Society of the World. When when one does me a really good turn, I give him one of those red beans and make him a member of the society. Oh, I love that. Uh, you would be surprised how many quarts of these beans I've sent for to replenish my supply. It just seems the whole world is made up of people who do good turns. Unless we want to be parasites, we must do more good turns than others do to us. Because we are leaders and crusaders, we are daring to attempt more than the other fellow. What time and thought and energy are we giving to community needs, to welfare work? Um, all of these services must be done by something by someone not for pay. Pay comes in rich, full measure by sharing. We Florentine, says one of George Eliot's characters, live scrupul- scrupulously that we may spend splendidly. We live scrupulously that we may spend splendidly. Another illustration, I believe, expresses this idea of sharing with others is the one used by Dr. Fosdick in The Meaning of Service. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are made of the same water. It flows down clear and cool from the Hermon and the roots of the cedars of Lebanon. The Sea of Galilee makes beauty of it, for the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. It gets to give. It gathers in its riches that it may pour them out again to fertilize the Jordan plain. But the Dead Sea with the same water makes horror. For the Dead Sea has no outlet. It gets to keep. That is the radical difference between selfish and unselfish men. We all do what life's enriching. We all do want life's enriching blessings. We ought to. They are divine benedictions. But some men get to give and they are like Galilee while, while some men get to keep. And they are like the brackish water that covers Sodom and Gomorrah. Sounds very ominous. Um, but, you know, we can obviously draw a very simple parallel, right? We all draw the same breath. We all, in many respects, have the same opportunities and options. Um, the question is what we do with them. And I think a huge part of this book is this idea that when you share, when you give, um, you will inevitably and invariably uh, get back. You multiply when you share and you uh, you divide or you, you uh, contract um, when you keep to yourself. Um, so <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to skip a few pages that goes into two stories of sharing. Um, and I'm going to move on to, it seems a little dated. Um, so I am going to go to, um, yeah, I'm going to just stop with this point. Um, Mahatma Gandhi never asks men for more than they can give, but he asks for all they can give. He never asks men for more than they can give, but he asks for all they can give. Okay, that's a very interesting little distinction, right? Don't give more than you can give, but give all that you can give. I love that. I really love that quote. It's, it's so subtle that I, that I almost missed it. 
um, give as much as you can without you know burdening yourself, without stretching yourself, but don't feel like you held back um, or or that you were able to give more. Um, that to me is one of the greatest tragedies and and sins of a life, right? When you were able to um, do more and you chose not to, you held back, you slow rolled, you you know you underplayed, um, and and. And I get why we do that. I understand it. You know, sometimes, um, you know, it's the weirdest, weirdest example. But um, when I'm when I'm eating a sundae with hot fudge sauce, I typically don't want to run out of hot fudge sauce. So I eat around the hot fudge sauce. I eat the ice cream. I eat the soft serve, and I actually end up with all of this hot this hot fudge sauce at the end, which was not my goal. My goal was to try and figure out a better way to a portion, um, to actually blend, to actually, um, you know, be able to meter the hot, the, the hot fudge sauce relative to the soft serve. But it, it, it really speaks to that fear we have, right? The fear of running out, the fear of, you know, of recognizing that we, you know, it's, it's like running a race, right? You don't want to be the pace setter. You don't want to come out too hot and heavy. <clears throat> you want to be able to pace yourself. So, but but pacing yourself, right? I'm trying to pace myself with a hot fudge sauce and the ice cream. There is a danger of pacing. We're gone in like a weird direction and tangent, but it's a nice one. <clears throat> you know, when you pace yourself, you can also run the risk of becoming too conservative, of actually becoming too complacent, because the part of pacing that's so critical is to know when to make your move, is to know when to actually kind of hit your stride. And whether you're doing that, and whether you're a jockey in a horse race, whether you're in a running race, or whether you're in the race of life, you want to make sure that you don't peak too soon, but you also don't want to waste the opportunity or miss the opportunity <clears throat> to peak at all. And I very much believe, very much believe, um, that our best years are all ahead of us. I very much believe, for me at the age of 52, that my best years years are ahead of me. I absolutely 1,000% believe that. The question will come down to, how did I run my race? How did I pace myself? Did I, in fact, come out too hot and heavy too soon? Um, did I make my move at the right time? I can tell you that if I look back in my life, um, the first part of my life, um, I probably um, was too complacent. I probably should have run further. I probably was happy to just be part of the pack. Most young people do. Most young people want to party and they don't really take their job that seriously and maybe nor should they. So I wasn't super intense. You know, I kind of, I did what I had to. I did just enough. And then when I moved into later phases of my life, uh, I probably did press a little bit more and, and maybe um, ran the danger of burning out or maybe might have peaked too soon. Time will tell. In fact, for example, when I sold my company um, and published Flip the Funnel, <clears throat> was that my highest moment? At the moment, yes. At the moment, it actually was the highest moment when I look back at my career. Um, <clears throat> but my race has not run yet. My race is not done yet. 
And so now at least I have a benchmark. And the thing, of course, is when you do run and make your move, um, that doesn't mean if suddenly you find yourself at the top, at the, you know, ahead of the pack, that you can't drop back again, that you can't begin to conserve your energy, that you can't start to, um, you know, preserve that energy and, and, you know, fill up the tank again for another run, for another attempt. I mean, we look at sometimes people that have run for office uh, and they failed and they run for office again, public office, and they failed. Um, but the third time they succeed and maybe they take a bit of a break because part of that requires reflection and introspection and learning and recognition of, of and self-awareness and timing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and of course, <clears throat> you don't want to burn out. You don't want to injure yourself from kind of jumping between metaphors, but certainly going back to that race, you make your move too soon um, and now you're recognizing, you've become self-aware that you're running out of juice. Um, that doesn't mean if you stay ahead, if you stay in front of that pack, if you continue to run and try and run even harder, you surely will fail. But that's ego, that's pride. The ability to drop back into the pack and wait for somebody else Maybe somebody else tries and joins you. Instead of trying to run faster than them, drop back. Let them now you know, determine whether they're in fact going to follow your lead or fall into the trap of pulling a muscle, of running out of juice, and eventually pulling out the race. So just some thoughts there. Um, <clears throat> I heard my friend, President Emeritus William J. Hutchins of Berea College, Give these thoughts to a graduating class. A few men build cities. The rest live in them. A few, men a few men project subways. The rest ride in them. A few men erect skyscrapers and factories. And the rest toil in them. This book is written to you few who are going to accomplish things. You few who will dare to pioneer. You few who will dream of foundations and great superstructures to satisfy the needs of mankind. The rest will follow your leadership. You are the shepherds. The rest are the sheep. The shepherds love the sheep. He faces, he, the shepherd loves, the, loves his sheep. He's, he faces danger. He knows hardship. There are stray lambs. He brings them back. Close your eyes and say to yourself, I am one of the few. I have a leader's opportunity I have a shepherd's responsibility. The rest are dependent on me. Um, I, I ask you, like, maybe do that right now if you're in the audience. Uh, close your eyes. Close your eyes and actually repeat after me. I am one of the few. I have a leader's opportunity. I have a shepherd's responsibility. The rest are dependent on me. How many of you believe that, that you are one of the few? How many of you believe that you have a leader's opportunity. And if you don't, why don't you? And if you do, are you leading? And if you feel you could be, what are you doing about it? This chapter ends with, it says, I'll dare to share with others. Number one, what talents, I have, I ha what talents have I which I could share with others? Number two, in what way am I sharing my loaves with others? Number three, how will I dare to use the life I have and share it with others? And number four, outline on a sheet of paper for myself a definite sharing program, which I will start tomorrow. I mean, I think we can all do that tomorrow. We can all do that today. What will you share with others? 
Will you share the collective cafe? Will you share the book, I Dare You? Will you share something completely different? Something that has nothing to do with you being here today or anything that you've heard, but just something that you've gained. How often do you share? When you see something on LinkedIn or or a, a research report or a statistic, um, do you share it immediately? Do you want to share it? Or do you hoard it to yourself? Do you not want to give away that advantage to somebody else? Do you not want to, do you not feel this obligation to say, this is flippin' awesome, this is going to help me, let me put it in as many hands as possible? Do you actually just take the time to send it to a few people on Telegram, WhatsApp, iMessage saying, hey, thought of you, or this could be kind of interesting, etc., etc.? It is as simple as that, every day being able to say, today I shared something with someone. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to say through the Collective Cafe, through my show, today I actually pre-record with Jeff Jarvis, which is going to be awesome. Jeff is proper, proper OG in journalism, in publishing. Um, His blog, Buzz Machine, was one of the probably top 10 blogs in the world um, for for, for the chunk of time when blogs were introduced, when... um, you know, when, when Twitter was introduced, etc., and he's written a book called The Gutenberg uh, Parenthesis. I will actually put that link uh, above. Uh, we're pre-recording at, um, at, at 1 p.m., but if you actually want to listen in and, and be a part of it, you can do that. You can even comment, and uh, I might even put your comment on the screen as well, like if you have a question uh, for Jeff. So I'm going to actually just put that link the pinned link right there. Now you have it. It is um it is an unlisted link, um, but uh, you will access the actual show live um, at one p.m. Um, so it'd be great to have you. And obviously, I'll know that you came from Collective Cafe because you're the only people I've told about it. All right. So page one hundred five. Launch out into the deep. The four square life that I've dared you to live isn't easy. It is hard. The masses the 95% will be content to go along their own way. Their plateau is comfortable. Why be disturbed or excited? But that, but that other 4% and the kingly 1% will never be held down until every unused capacity has been marshaled for service. What is it that lights the fuse of the 4% to the higher leadership level and then that other 1% to the kingly group? So this is just a simple diagram and it actually just says 95% content to plateau here, 4% reach this leadership level. Just look at kind of like imagine a step diagram and then 1% reach the top. Why do the 95% never get their second wind? If the habits of the 95% keep them on their plateau, Don't you think by grim determination you, with your marvelous unused capacities, can form just as strong a habit to live on the 4% leadership level or rise to the kingly 1%, but it takes real stuff to do it. When I sailed through the Caribbean Sea, I became steeped in the stories of old Panama. Uh, Why seek the Pacific beyond when there were treasures enough to spare on this side? But there was something more on the far shore, a new ocean to sail, and the gold of the Incas. In between was the impenetrable Isthmus. Then came Toten, the engineer who spent five long years of untold difficulties and discouragement in building a railroad 
across that isthmus, uh, through dense jungles infected by pest, pest, uh, pestilential, is that the word? Pestilential dangers, mosquitoes, flies, snakes, miasma everywhere in slimy ooze. I hope I'm pronouncing these words right. Every tie in the, Pan- in the Panama Railroad represented, <clears throat> represents the life of some man who paid the price of its construction with his life. Totten or Toten was stricken with yellow fever. For days he lingered between life and death. His Spanish doctor said there was no hope. Toten roused himself and with that same indomitable courage that has marked his every step said, <coughs> You are mistaken, sir, not yet. Yellow fever can't kill a Totten. I'm going to get well. And he did. 4% and 1% stuff in him. Then came the digging of the canal. Uh, Deleceps, the famous Frenchman, had failed. The world said it can't be done. America purchased the Isthmus. President Theodore Roosevelt appointed George W. Gothels to build the canal. Gothels, he had the reputation of never quitting. The world flippantly said, let George do it. Colonel Gothels put to the full test the fearless courage that was the measure of the man. The canal was completed. George did it. No 95% plateau levels for this George, but George didn't do it without the help of another fearless man. William C. Gorgas, an American army doctor, was selected to fight malaria and yellow fever. He scanned the record of 20,000 who had died from these pestilential diseases. One report showed that 500 young engineers came from France to Panama and not one lived to draw his first month's pay. <clears throat> then began Dr. Gorgas's most amazing campaign. He was ridiculed, called a mosquito chaser. <coughs> Sorry. But Gorgas concentrated his sleepless energies upon one single aim, the destruction of the infecting mosquitoes. And he won what was unquestionably the greatest triumph in preventive in preventive medicine. A campaign waged for less than six months wiped out a scourge that had afflicted this region for at least 400 years. Had he allowed ridicule and opposition to overcome his courage, the Panama Canal might not have been built. Courage for your tasks, that's what's needed. Courage of the lasting kind too. Many start, few finish. Many mount up with wings like eagles, but only the select few continue to walk without fainting. I love that quote. Um, Many start, few finish. Many mount up with wings like eagles, but only the select few continue to walk without fainting. You adventurous spirits will meet obstacles, but dare to map out a program of life with a sense of direction, but with no sense of obstacles. Alexander the Great heard of India's fabulous wealth and splendor. There he would go. He had no maps, but he had an objective and a sense of direction. Rivers and mountains and warlike nations had no terrors for him. Through the Khyber Pass he went with no sense of obstacles. His eyes were on his destination. Caesar saw Britain, not the grueling marches, treacherous tribes, and danger on every hand between him and his goal. He had an objective and a sense of direction. Napoleon saw Italy, but not the Alps. Washington saw the Hessians at Trenton. A smaller man would have seen the ice-filled Delaware. The 95% see the obstacles. The 4% and the 1% see the objective. I'll repeat that again. 
The 95% see the obstacles, the 4% and the 1% see the objective. Small men painstakingly survey the first obstacle which dwarfs their natures and foreshortens their vision. Great men, with a sense of direction, have that confidence and determination which trample obstacles underfoot. History records the successes of men with objectives and a sense of direction. Oblivion is the position of small men overwhelmed by obstacles. I want to stop there for a second and and just um and, and recognize something that you know he he mentioned this idea of obstacles and objectives, um, but he forgot the word which he actually keeps saying before, during, and after is direction. Direction. What is direction? I want you to just kind of make a note of that for now, a mental note. If I forget, please put it in the chat. Or in fact, if someone can just write the word direction in the chat for me, um, that will give me um, a reminder to come back to it as well. And if you are here in um, Clubhouse, just a reminder, Jeff Jarvis pre-recording at 1 p.m. today if you want to attend live. Um, and also, it's not too late you know, to share the room or share, share. Remember, we're talking about share uh, and invite someone to the Collective Cafe. Tomorrow, we go back to open mic. Um, we go back to the idea of AMA, Ask Me Anything, um, office hours. What I've been thinking of doing, actually, and I think I may have mentioned it or alluded to it, was that uh, we would continue live book reads on Thursday uh, or maybe switch that to Friday. But then on the other day, we'd actually do a whole recap of the show that went live that week. Um, so last week was just um well this week is luke lintz um and and just have an ability i'll in fact i'll invite the guests to see if they want to join me in clubhouse or discord um and we would just you know do a show after the show a show where we discuss the show where i have a highlight clip that i can play um and where i go through my show notes and we talk about some of the key points um that really warrant additional conversation and it gives you the opportunity actually to watch the show but more importantly, to actually connect with the author or uh, with the guest and ask them uh, questions. So just a little bit of uh, a heads up there. Uh, <clears throat> Living the four square life through your dares gives you a sense of direction and sweeps obstacles out of your path. Your adventurous life has just begun. It takes more than saying you're going to do it to achieve. Theodore Roosevelt said, there must be more shooting and less shouting, fewer words and more real work. Words will not plow a field. Words will not build a home. Words will not develop a great humanity nor build a great nation. There is a discipline ahead. Walking with the army and wearing a uniform doesn't make a man a soldier. Dare to make a start. All the plans in the world will not help you as much as one small deed. This book will not have served its purpose unless it starts you living the complete life. It is human to put things off. It is divine to start things off. Oh, that's another great quote, right? It is human to put things off. It is divine to start things off. Your daring program begins not next month, not next week, not even tomorrow. I dare you to begin to live the four square life today. There's hero stuff in you. I dare you to get it out. Use your imagination as you read this football dope. And... He has, he has the dope, I guess, the quote. <laughs> and the coach kicks every man out on the field and tells him to go to it. He keeps right on working them back and forth 
until their tongues hang out and they think they can't make another down. Then he works them some more and some more and finally ends up in a sprint around the track. The result is that each man brings out everything that is in him. The fast and fearless step into their strides and replace the halfbacks that aren't any good. Finally, there is a great team and a great game and a great score. And the man who made those two touchdowns on that muddy day in November becomes a hero and stays one all the rest of his life, and every man on the team is proud. Pass the ball to me, do I hear you say. Pass it to you with those weights on your shoulders and shackles on your feet which prevent you from moving. No, sir, the man with the ball must be in fighting trim. Go back to those inflexible rules of the four-square life in the preceding chapters. Master them. Get on the varsity team of life. Face your tasks. Launch out. Take the risk. Dare to do. I would encourage many little dares. You will need them to bolster up that great, that one great, big, all-absorbing dare of your life. I guess we would call that now the magnificent obsession, right? Let me look you squarely in the eyes, hear your dare, and learn of the purpose behind it. And I'll gamble I can take your measure. If I see the light of battle in your eyes and catch something of a dominant inner urge, then I know you're on your way. Many are good starters, but poor finishers. The streets are full of people who started out but fell by the wayside. This man began to build, but was not able to finish. Launching your ship is a gala occasion, but the storms and waves are the tests. I'm afraid you won't be able to make it, whispers a little imp who constantly tries to poison your mind. Knock such fears galley west. Those who dare take risks, but so do those who do not dare. Not the risks of shipwreck, shipwreck and failure, but the risks of rust and decay. The risks of rust and decay. Do you remember the story of the covered wagon crossing the plains toward the Golden West? The coward never started. The weak died on the way. Only the strong came through. There will be times when you'll want to quit, when, you'll want, <clears throat> when you will consign me and my dares to a warmer climate. But you can't quit. You have unused capacities that cry out within you. You're made of 4% leadership stuff. Yes, maybe you belong to the kingly 1%. John Paul Jones, when ordered to surrender, said, We've just begun to fight. Did Admiral Farragut weaken with hidden mines in his path? Damn the torpedoes! Full steam ahead was his command. Determination to win decides the issue. During the war in France, one of our officers, after being asked the question, Can we hold them? answered, Can we hold them? We will go through them and smash them. May I say again that the real cause of strength under baffling conditions comes right back to your four-square life. That's the secret I must tell. Those four hard chapters contain the very heart of life. I've seen the test come in business and in war. In my division, in France, we had some Tennessee mountain boys. When hell was turned loose, they were bewildered. They knew two things, however. They knew their rifles and they knew how to shoot straight. When fundamentals begin to grip you, When you have made the four-square life your life, all hell may break, but you will dare to reach your goal. Let me finish this chapter by again impressing on you from a business point of view what I've tried to say in the preceding pages. Capitalize four-square living just as bankers or manufacturers capitalize 
their assets. Use your physical strength. Put it behind your dare. Keep enough in reserve for emergencies. You can go far using your teeming physical energy. Corral your brain power. When you have learned to face facts and think straight, you can mix brains with that fine body of yours and have two arrows to shoot. Making friends and holding them by a winsome personality along with an alert mind and strong body, you have three powers at your command. You who dare, don't waste. The fourfold life is yours because underneath a body which is under control and a mind keen as a briar and a personality that sparkles at every contact, there is a religion with truth, honesty and purity as its base. Will you, who dare, use one or two or all? Make up your mind to dare. These ideas aren't worth a thing to you unless carried out. The 20th century limited would stand forever in the station if they didn't give it steam. Unless you dare... You are on a dead center. How would you expect your ship to come in if you never sent one out? It was ridiculous for David to fight Goliath. Foolishness for Columbus to try to sail around the earth. Nonsense for the Wright brothers to dream they could fly. But suppose they hadn't tried. Master the five previous chapters. Who will be content today without striving for all that the four-square life has to offer? Physical strength, mental alertness, a magnetic personality and a religion that fits us for the highest service. Achieve greatly through a clear and powerful urge to accomplish something notable, through a superior persistence, through marked faith in yourself. I can do great things if I try. High capacity for self-improvement, energy great enough to sustain in long, tremendous drives, high enthusiasm, intellectual curiosity, the itch to understand Marked dexterity of eye, hand, tongue, and body, creative imagination. These are some of Professor Pitkin's thoughts, which, coupled with his definition of achievement, will open up vast possibilities. Achievement is distinguished, successful endeavor, usually in the face of difficulties. Let me repeat that again. Achievement is distinguished, successful endeavor, usually in the face of difficulties. As such, it always possesses two characteristics. First, a certain superiority of aim, and secondly, exceptional skill in execution. Never give up until you have released your unused capacities for service and shared your gifts with others. One enkindled spirit can set hundreds on fire. I want to lift you to your peak performance, whatever that is. I want you to do some long-range thinking, to have an imagination to see far beyond anything I've said. If only one in a thousand gets the big idea of a dare, then I should be happy. I know I would be if that one were my own boy. We haven't scratched the surface of human reservoirs yet. Do you wonder that I'm urging you to dare? Picture anyone looking at the rushing, tumbling waters of Niagara Falls, power beyond imagination even, and saying, I'll take a cupful, or that echo of a little midget purring, just a thimbleful for me. Oftentimes I find myself offering up a prayer, Lord, open the eyes of the blind, quicken the imagination of the weak. I like that idea, quicken the imagination of the weak. I I read a part of the manuscript of I Dare You to a young friend. How very interesting, he said, gosh, If I've spent my time writing this to no greater purpose than interesting somebody, then I've failed miserably. Unless this book stirs you to action, 
and makes you want to get somewhere, then the daring adventure of magnificent four-square living has been presented by a mighty poor salesperson. And I think that is the book. There's just a little tiny section left um, called I Dare and Share. And um, I'm just going to read you one little bit there. Um, I just saw something as I was kind of working through it. Um, It says, uh, a friend told me the following incident. Last fall, I saw a horse race at the Nebraska State Fair. A white-faced horse got the pole and took the lead. At the quarter, he struck mud and the second horse passed him. I wish you could have seen that white-faced horse run that last half mile. The finish was close, but he won. You're going to start this race on a high crest of enthusiasm. You're going to strike mud. Some are going to pass you. But during that last half-mile run, as you never ran before, it's down that last stretch that you white-faced horses must run home with everything that's in you. And it certainly does, you know, talk to the fact that, um, you know, we start off, often we get motivated, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, the world that I suppose I, I, I came from, the world of being a public speaker. I would always say, you know, it's easy, it's easy being me. It's easy, actually. People say, oh, public speaking is so hard, public speaking is so difficult. It's actually really easy um, to be a public speaker, you know, when you are comfortable on stage, when you know your subject matter, ex- uh, your subject matter, when you've practiced it many times, um, and and what people don't realize when you're in the audience um, is that you know the person on stage is meant to be there, you know. So and and if they've done it enough times, you know they're they're out there just doing their thing. They're performing, you know. Th- there could be no one in the room. There could be everyone in the room. Uh, in some cases, you can't even see the people in the room if the room is is really really large. But the point is that it's easy to you know to be provocative and to challenge people and. You know, like I just said, come on, everyone, I dare you. What's your magnificent obsession? And there are people sitting in the audience today going, hmm, what's my magnificent obsession? Um, let me think about it. Let me, like, I need to discover it. You know, so, like, it's easy to be able to throw the gauntlet or put that line in the sand or be on stage or write the book. It's easy to do that. It's much harder to be you. It's much harder to actually have to do the work. It's much harder um, to be able to then have to kind of go ahead and and to you know the point of Danforth to to then execute, and I just like this kind of final reminder that says you know, depending on the adrenaline, depending on the enthusiasm, depending on the desire and the determination and the passion, you may actually burst out the starting stalls. You may actually find yourself in front, and you may actually kind of have that self awareness to think, you know what, I don't have what I need right now to stay out in front and then be able to come back a little bit or just be pulled back. Because what, what tends to happen, I mean, I don't know about you, but like in the whole concept of like road rage, when somebody, you know, passes you, you kind of get this ridiculous urge or this stupid urge to now pass them back or, or, or chase them or, you know, or I mean, you end up making false, false frames and false references and being referential um, to um, to an unworthy, um, you know, conspirator or competitor, 
And so what may happen in that race is another horse then passes you. And now you're like trying to, you know, take even more precious depleting energy and try and keep up with them. So there will be a lack and a loss of enthusiasm. There will be obstacles. You will be um, pegged back and pushed down. But your objective then is to find that second wind. Your objective then is to dig deep and find those reserves, replenish them if you can, which is important. The replenishing part is really important. And that may be whether it's meditation or whether it's you know taking a break or pausing or, or finding peace or, or, um, or something that feeds your life force, which can be part of your business or, or a side hustle or whatever. And then you come back strongly and perhaps... Uh, place but definitely definitely win the race i say perhaps place but definitely win the race should be the other way around but i actually intentionally made it make no sense whatsoever so um the final point that i wanted to remember no one even put in the chat um thank goodness i remembered was this idea of direction so direction um is important we spoke about you know or, or danforth spoke about everything else um, but I want to talk about direction. It is important to have a good sense of where you're heading. You may not exactly know what the destination looks like. You may not exactly even know how to get there. But you've got to have a sense of direction. Because just aimlessly moving without any sense of direction is, is a fool's errand. Now, there are two parts to it, obviously. You know, if we look about, in this case, um, the, the idea of discovering the new world or Columbus, um, there are times when you are boldly going where no in, you know, man has gone before to use Star Trek or in, in, in Columbus's time. Um, but was it foolish? Was it aimless? Was there no method to the madness? In some cases, there might be. But there's still got to be some kind of a plan, some kind of an idea. And so, I mean, I, I, think, I think the point that I'm trying to make as I riff on this is direction doesn't necessarily have to literally be direction. Direction doesn't necessarily have to mean this, you know, um, go straight, one mile turn left at the third you know, at the third intersection or traffic circle. I mean, there is direction, specific literal direction, and then there's direction as in I have an idea of what I'm meant to do, of where I'm meant to go, I, of, of what I should be doing. And I have the faith and I have the belief that some things will become self-evident along the way that I may very well discover that just by by just doing it, by just getting going and just getting started, provided that it is roughly in the right conceptual direction, you will then discover your literal, your actual, your, your, your um, physical direction, the, the road map on the road to get you to where you need to get to. In some cases, you know, it's fine to be able to say, um, just head in this general, I guess the point is it's a general direction, head in this general direction, and you should be able to discover exactly where you need to be. You'll meet someone. You'll you know, uncover the road. You'll discover a shortcut. There are many ways to kind of look at that, um, that idea and build 
um, that idea as well. Um, but the general direction represents momentum. The general direction says get moving. Don't atrophy or atrophy. Don't stand still because when you stand still, you are moving backwards. You are stagnating. You are atrophying. Your muscles are decaying. You are losing ground. You are falling back and you may never catch up. Remember the idea here, the second wind, me talking about are your best years ahead of you or my best years ahead of you. You have to still stay in the game in order to have a shot at winning it. Remember that as a final quote. You have to be in the game at all. And it helps not to be at the back of the pack, by the way. So you need to at least not just be in the game, number one, but in a position to challenge. It's kind of a new thought, but a reframing of the old one. Just want to acknowledge uh, Callican, who said, excellent book reading and great learning for me. I'm so glad uh, we will start a new book next Thursday. Maybe it will be Flip the Funnel. Maybe it will be another book. Um, and also, you can probably go back and listen to the podcast version. Um, not every uh, not every one of this was done in Clubhouse, um, but if you actually go, and I'll just put that link in, um, It's uh, I'll tell it to you as I'm typing it. It's bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go. Every single episode um, is um, available um, as a podcast. So you can literally go back and find every single read. We literally read the entire book of I Dare You. So you can find every single reading um, and go all the way back. And I hope it gives you that momentum and that incentive to discover your magnificent obsession. So remember, um, first of all, you know, just do it. Get started, right? Get a few butts. <laughs> um, get in the game. And then, you know, take a while to, to assess your position where you are relatively in the game um, and, and have some kind of a general plan, right? General direction or general plan. Um, but at some point, you're going to want to make your move. If the objective is to win, if the objective is to win, um, you're going to have to make your move. And so a lot of that whole journey and experience is going to come down um, to momentum and timing and pacing and being able to make sure that you don't peak too early, that you don't run out of steam, that you don't pull a muscle, that you don't, you know, the worst thing is pull out. How many times have you watched how tragic it is that someone that was leading the race for so long, maybe it was, you know, the mile or something in the Olympic Games, and they're leading the race, and they don't even finish. How tragic is that? We could probably argue and debate that. At least they gave themselves a chance to win, um, and, and the argument, I'd rather have tried and pulled out and not finished than, than to have placed. I don't know. I don't know. I can, I, I, I'm, I'm, of the, uh, I'm of the other ilk. I'm, I'm in the other camp that says, if you start a race, you should finish it. Your goal, and I've said this many times, even you know, in my show or whatever, is I looked at that like the New York, uh, New York Marathon like that. Goal number one is finish. 
Goal number two is don't finish last. But goal number three, you start to kind of then talk about um, pushing and stretching and personal bests, etc. So I would never subscribe to the, hey, I gave it my shot, I you know, gave it everything and then pulled out the race. I don't know. I think you've got to finish the race. Um, the finishing last part, um, I could probably, um, you know what, it's, it's fine <laughs> if you don't finish last. But if someone finishes last, they should be proud in the fact that they finished. They should be proud when they not only look back at all the people that pulled out uh, and faded and, you know, and gave up, but the people that gave up by never even entering the race in the first place. So I'll strike that. I'll just say finish the race and then see what you're capable of. I dare you. I dare you to enter that race. I dare you to run the race of your life. I dare you not just to finish or place, but to finish first, because I believe you have it in you. Have an amazing day, everyone, and I will see you tomorrow, 8 a.m. in Clubhouse for our open mic, No Agenda Friday, Ask Me Anything. Take care, everyone. Bye. And back to Clubhouse. Uh, Bez and Melissa, we are done. We are done, done, done. We've finished, I dare you. Um, yeah, direction. Oh, Bears actually put it in. I see. I was like, no one even put that in, in, in Clubhouse. But yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad I hit it. I wanted to hit it. Um, have an amazing day, guys, and I will see you soon. Bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.